one friend waited too long and he's in, he's in a lot of trouble. Uh, so again, I cannot emphasize this more to stay on top of this as a man. 80% of men have some sort of prostate issues before they die. You're going to get it, you know, stay on top of this, man. Keep yourself alive and you'll live for a long, long time. If you screw up and procrastinate, it's going to hurt and, and it's going to be miserable. And I don't want to see anybody go through that at, ever. Hi, this is Joel Nowak for Cancer ABCs. Today I'll be speaking with Mr. Shane Norris, who lives in New Orleans and works as a music producer. Mr. Norris was diagnosed with prostate cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic. He decided to seek treatment using focal laser HIFU ablation, as opposed to the more commonly used methods of either the surgical removal or the radiation of his entire prostate gland. Shane, first, I want to thank you for joining me. I think your story is most interesting and a little different. First, I would really love it if you would please share with us what it was like to be diagnosed with prostate cancer during the COVID pandemic. I'm sure that you faced a number of extra barriers given the fact that we were in the middle of the pandemic or I think was we were starting to move into the pandemic. So if you could share some of those barriers, how you overcame them, and how you explored your treatment options and then actually made your treatment decision. Um, absolutely. Good morning, Joel. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I've, uh, I've actually been looking forward to this, to speaking to you about this. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, um, there was a pandemic or we had to, to shut down in March. There was a group of filmmakers, there's three of us got together and decided we were going to have a, to try to raise money for some musicians and gig workers here in New Orleans. At about third week uh, of March, just before we got this off the ground, I got news from my doctor that my PSA were through the roof. Uh, he was suggesting that he that I probably had cancer, but he needed to do some more tests. Before COVID and not during the pandemic, the actual process the Auctioner Hospital went through normally is to do a biopsy and then do an MRI, which I call a blue laser MRI, where they inject you with a dye. And then the blue laser can highlight where there's any or any tumors. And I prefer to do the MRI first. And due to COVID, I was able to do that because nobody was working and everybody was concentrated on people with COVID in the emergency rooms and all. So it was really tough to get an appointment to go and do this. Finally got it all arranged. And I went into this huge imaging building. And, uh, and because of the pandemic, there was me, the technician, and a receptionist in this entire building. So it was, it was very eerie going in there with no one, and you get strapped into this MRI, and you're in there for you know an hour, hour and a half, or something like that. And when the results came back from that MRI, the doctors definitely diagnosed it as an intermediate to high. I think is the new the new measurements, low, intermediate, and high instead of stage one, two, three, four. Between intermediate and high, I wanted to do a biopsy as soon as possible. Well, that in itself was quite an ordeal to actually get going and get done due to the pandemic. Again, uh, nobody was scheduling hardly anything. And it took, uh, I don't know, close to four or five weeks of wrangling to get this biopsy done. And it came back with a positive and my PSA was through the roof. 
if you go over a four, a zero to four is normal range. And my PSA was, at, I believe it was at a 13. And my doctor, Dr. Bordeaux suggested one of two things. He suggested either radiation, where I would have to come in to the office every day for seven weeks, or they would put a radiation pill, insert a radiation bead inside prostate to emit low-level radiation, or radical prostatectomy, where they actually take the entire prostate out. Both of these procedures, uh, when I started looking into them, really horrified me by the damage that they cause, the collateral damage, if you will, that they cause. There's an extreme high percentage of incontinence, a high percentage of impotency. When they cut the prostate out, they actually have to pull your penis back that distance to reattach it. So I could see where some, uh, in some cases, this would be really horrifying to a man to lose penile length. And uh, I really didn't know what to do. So I started researching other alternative methods, and I came across a process called laser ablation, high-intensity laser ablation, which is not approved by the FDA, but the National Institute of Health are doing clinical trials on this. They make a small incision inside the rectum wall, and a guided laser basically targets the tumor and burns it out at 194 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe it is. But none of this is covered by insurance, of course. I started a GoFundMe. I managed to raise about two-thirds of the amount that I would need to do this at a private clinic I chose in Galveston, Texas. I had it all arranged. All of the uh, MRIs had been sent to them. I talked to the doctor several times. Everything was arranged, and I was scheduled to go to Galveston on, on a Friday. But a hurricane came through on Lake Charles, and it was the second one last year. So I wasn't able to get to Galveston that weekend and rescheduled. And during that week of rescheduling, I met with my doctor here at Ochsner Hospital, Dr. Stephen Bardot, and found out that Ochsner had just been approved by the, the fourth hospital in the United States to be approved for high-intensity focal ultrasound, or HIFU, as it's called. Uh, almost exactly similar to the laser, except that they used ultrasound. They used sound to bombard the tumor, ultra-precision M, uh, MRI ultrasound guy guided, and they bombard the tumor with um, with sound, which heats it up and kills the the cells up to 100 again up to 194 degrees Fahrenheit. So immediately, I immediately said, I'm a, I want I want to do that. I don't want to drive to Galveston this two days from now and get this done. And immediately cancel my trip to Galveston. Signed up for to do it at Ochsner. Again, like I said, it wasn't covered by insurance, but I, I had raised a, some funds through GoFundMe. Ochsner was very kind, and we worked out a, a deal on that. And uh, they scheduled it for six weeks later. I would be the first person in Louisiana to to get this done. And uh, they also flew a doctor in from Cincinnati and had four other surgeons in the surgery room learning how to do this process, as no one had ever done it. So I was, I was basically a test subject. So uh, given the, that they brought this doctor in from Cincinnati, I'm assuming that he is the physician that was teaching the procedures to the other doctors, and he had experience doing the process or the procedure. Yes, sir. That's exactly correct. They called him. I'm not sure why this particular doctor, but I, I would imagine he was uh, a leading doctor in this field or in this new process. As a teaching point, I think one thing that we try to, to teach people is that the more experience a physician has doing whatever it is that they're doing, 
usually the better the outcomes, both with cancer control and also with the resulting side effects. So here's a good example because they brought an expert in because the other physicians didn't have the experience that was needed. So I think it's good that that happened. I'm curious because you referenced earlier on that you had done research where you found out the potential side effects of the alternative treatments, and then you, of course, discovered two other alternative treatments. I'm just curious how you did your research, uh, what resources you used. I have a partner, uh, I guess you could call her a girlfriend, but we don't live to, you know, in the same state. She lives in Massachusetts. She's a, a nurse practitioner. So I incorporated her and another friend of mine that's a doctor. I logged into Medscape to look up information. I, I was signed into several organizations on the internet. One is Prostate Cancer Network. There was, a, I can't remember the other two off the top of my head, but I got resources from them to where I could go get better information than just doing a Google search on the internet. And then now I also connected with the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And I spoke to one of the, uh, one of the doctors there. I was actually accepted to come up and do a clinical trial in Bethesda, but I was unable to pay for the, uh, the five or six airline flights that were going to be required to do that. I found information that I would find more, I would find more resources to, to look for more information. And uh, it just blossomed from there. I started uh, my search on Medscape and with uh, Prostate Cancer Network. You took advantage or you did it right. In other words, you went to trusted sources. There's a lot of great information out there, but unfortunately, there's also a lot of not so great information. And you went right to the, to the good sources. I think I did. Um, I feel like that I did. And, uh, there are three or four people that I'd used to help me reference it all that, that have medical knowledge. Very, very, very good in their field. They're very high ranking and get lots of, they know what they're doing and, uh, and I trust them explicitly. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously one of those individuals was your partner, girlfriend, and she clearly as a nurse practitioner has a background. I'm curious, who, who are those other individuals? Well, I have uh, some personal friends that are doctors, and uh, one is in oncology and one is in pediatrics. They're just close personal friends. But they were able to supply or offer you the support and uh, help you understand or translate stuff that perhaps you didn't understand. Would that be a correct assumption? That's, that's very correct. They had access to certain sites that the average civilian, if you will, the average person wouldn't have access to. And so they would, uh, they would look up things for me and then direct me in, in, in the right direction as to obtain the information I was looking for. Did you find that as you went through those uh, sources, either your own or ones that were referred, were you able to understand uh, what you were reading? Absolutely. I'm used to reading technical things. I have a degree in mechanical engineering and uh, physics and math. It was a familiar setting to me, and just did the technical references of it. I mean, I'm also been an herbalist for about 30 years, so I'm, I'm very familiar with medical terms. Just all, all of it combined, just the medical field. Uh, I've been around it a lot in my life. Did you think that an average person would have been able to understand what you read? Some of it, yes, absolutely. Uh, especially on Medscape, that they break it down into the layman's terms, to to use a old cliche, but. They break it down to where it's very understandable on Medscape. I highly recommend that site. You also mentioned that more common potential treatments, radiation and surgery, they treat the whole gland. But you said that the treatment you used, HIFU, treated the tumor. 
That's tell you how it works. Yeah, great. Thank you. You're welcome. The device, the uh, sensing device is inserted into the rectum and they, they have an active uh, ultrasound uh, MRI going and you can see it on the screen and is a very targeted area. I didn't actually see them do it. Obviously, I was under anesthesia, but they pick points around the shape of the tumor and they point it multiple points all around. It gives it a very, very precise area of where this is going to be targeted. So you don't damage any of the other nerves and cells next to it as much as you want to you limit your damage as much as possible. Because if you damage the nerves and that's, that's what's going to cause uh, erectile dysfunction and, and impotencies. So it's extremely detailed, targeted, and they just blast just that tumor with the sound and nothing else. And they're doing it and they're watching it on the screen at the same time. So it's very, very precise and very, uh, very quick. And uh, it only took like two hours total for the whole thing. What about the recovery? What was that like? Recovery, uh, it wasn't too bad. Of course, you come out of surgery, you're, you know, you're all groggy and then uh, you have uh, all of these things attached to you that weren't attached to you before. <laughs> and uh, uh, and you have a catheter, which is, I must say, that was that was the worst part of it all, was the catheter itself. And you have to wear a catheter and they give you two kinds of uh, collection bags, one for at night and then one can strap to your leg if you have to, you know, get out and go get groceries or what have you. And you have to wear that catheter for seven days. and. I can tell you how happy I was for the, the, to feel that pain and then pulling that thing out of me. I was just overjoyed and, and happiness to have that thing done. And and it takes a, a little while to recover from that. A couple of weeks, there's blood in the urine, there's blood in, in all the body fluid. They give you uh, Cialis to take to because you want to increase the blood flow to the uh, to that area in order to to speed up healing process. It takes about oh, 10 days before the blood's out of urine. And then another, it took several weeks before the blood was out of all the other, you know, seminal fluids. And you practice your Kegel exercise. Probably two weeks, I was released for light duty. Although there was no real reason to be releasing anybody for light duty because there's no work at the time. But, but I was released for light duty for uh, another two weeks, and then uh, and then they said I could just resume my regular life after about a month. It wasn't it wasn't difficult at all. Just the the one week with the catheter was was kind of hell. But uh, other than that, it was not a big deal. And and it would have been a huge deal to have radical prostatectomy and have surgery. They cut it out of you. It would have been you would have had to wear a catheter for a long time, up to six weeks. It was just I'm so glad I didn't have to go through that mutilation. I'm so glad. Obviously, you didn't like having the catheter. Was it painful, or what, yeah, it, what are you responding to? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very painful to be in there. If you didn't pay close attention to it, it could, it might come loose and then uh, uh, leak urine everywhere. And uh, and then you had to you had to carry it around with you. It was just it was just a real pain to to deal with. I, I didn't really move around a whole lot the first weeks. I assume that you live alone based on what you said before. I do live alone, yes. So were you able to do this recovery alone or did you have some additional support? The only support I had during this is I had someone pick me up at the hospital and drive me home and then drive me back the next day to get my car. Other than that, I did it completely alone. So you took you took care of your own 
care and feeding, so to speak. Yes. You can get out, walk around and do things. You're just carrying that catheter bag around with you, but um, I'd hook it on the belt and make breakfast or, or dinner. And uh, yeah, it's not hard to do. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. First of all, when did you actually have the procedure? November the 13th, 2020. So we're- Friday the 13th. So we're out December, January, February, March, April. We're out about six, seven months. Right. And how are you doing? What are the results? If I can ask about your continence, if I could ask about your sexual yeah. functioning. I mean, those were the biggest concerns as to why you went to HIFU. Everything works fantastic. I have zero incontinence. I have uh, zero uh, problems with erectile dysfunction or impotency. None of, none of, nothing bad happened. Any, every single thing good that could happen happened for this procedure. Clearly, you would recommend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when you think, when I go back and I, and I reread some of the processes that, like the radical prostatectomy, it's almost like a mutilation in a way. Such bad things can happen. And they're almost guaranteed when you do that, too. You know, a lot of men wouldn't go through it. So I ain't doing that. You know, I'm not going to put myself through that. And the next thing you know, that, you know, they had a really bad cancer to spread metastasize or something like this. This is not hard to do. Go get your stuff done. Get your PSA done every six months after you turn 45 or, or whatever your doctor recommends. Get it done. This is not hard to do. But if you screw up and wait, you really, really mess yourself up. I, I think that's sage advice. Uh, get your PSA test. Sir, I mean, be religious about that as a man. I think that's, that's a fantastic message. Obviously, you're doing some follow-up work with your doctors. So what did they tell you to do? Uh, what are you planning on doing? I go get a PSA test now every four months, and we're going to monitor probably the rest of my life like that, which is fine with me. It's just a blood test. It's not a big deal. You go in, they take a blood sample, and later in the day, you get a, a notification of what your test is. It's so simple. It takes 20 minutes. I mean... Yeah. It takes 45 minutes total. I mean, that's driving to the hospital, getting out, getting it done, and get back in your car. It's 45 minutes. Not a big deal. Has the doctor discussed the DRE as a follow-up uh, care? I'm not familiar with that term. D digital rectal exam, where they basically go in and feel the prostate for hard spots or irregularities? He has not recommended that yet, but... Uh... I would, I would see, I could see where that may be a, a thing that, that uh, you would want, like you do that during your physical exam once a year, I would think they already, we already did that anyway. So right. I, I don't see why he wouldn't do, continue to do that. Oh, and one thing I'd like to add for sure, having high food doesn't mean you can't do it a second or third time. I mean, you can do this more than once. If like you get rid of a tumor and one appears on the other side, you can get, do the same procedure to get rid of that one as well. A good point. Thank you for bringing that up. One of the things that also I found remarkable is that when you were faced with, with having to do a procedure and your insurance didn't cover it, that you reached out to the to people and people responded and, and they did the right thing. And I think that says a lot for us as a community. I completely agree with you. And, and I will tell you that, that that was one of the hardest things that I've ever done for myself was to... I made the GoFundMe, but to hit that enter and make it live, it took me two days to hit that enter button because I'm just not, I'm a, I'm very independent. I don't depend on anyone for basically anything. And uh, to ask my friends and family and strangers for money was 
extraordinarily difficult for me to do, but I did it and I'm glad that I did. And now as a result of that, I've had, I've probably talked to seven or eight different men about this. Uh, we had a, a local radio, a local television station did a little medical segment on me and I've talked to seven or eight men since then. Three of them are going to get the procedure. One friend waited too long and he's in, he's in a lot of trouble. Uh, so again, I cannot emphasize this more to stay on top of this as a man. 80% of men have some sort of prostate issues before they die. You're going to get it, you know, stay on top of this, man. Keep yourself alive and you'll live for a long, long time. If you screw up and procrastinate, it's going to hurt and, and it's going to be miserable. And I don't want to see anybody go through that at, ever. I'll make this offer right here on your podcast. If anybody wants to talk to me, uh, a man out there really wants some information, you feel free to contact me. I will happily help you through this and give you all the resources that I have. That is terrific. If anybody is interested in contacting you, do I have your permission to either pass on your email address or do you want me to just forward their information to you? What What are you more comfortable with? You can pass my information on to anyone that you think might need it, Joel. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I'm not clear whether you paid it forward in advance or paid it forward afterwards, but you know, you did manage to raise a substantial amount of money for musicians who were out of work because of COVID. You've already paying it forward. And I have to thank you, you know, because not everybody steps up and does that. Well, I am a gig worker because uh, I do uh, work. I'm an electrical contractor for a lot of music food festivals here in New Orleans and a filmmaker. And uh, we just decided to do this because we, I knew we I've done a lot of music videos and uh for instance, like I did Paul McCartney's last music video. It was his lighting guy for that. So I know a lot of people. As a milestone yesterday, our organization passed $400,000 that we raised for New Orleans musicians and gig workers. And we've done 65 live shows straight through the pandemic. We're only people in the world doing a live show. And every you can go online and see all 65 shows. Where would they go to see them? Uh, our website is called The Funky Uncle dot live it's named after a mardi gras float in the tux parade called the funky uncle and that whole float was designed for a band to play music on while we go down the street and we use that as our set we broadcast out of the tux warehouse where there's 50 floats in there's a hundred thousand square foot warehouse and you can go to the funky uncle dot live if you want to donate that would be fantastic my thing is that i just want you first of all to push the coffee table back and dance in your living room to this and enjoy some really, really local music that the pandemic presented us with a, a unique opportunity. We would never, ever have gotten this level of talent on any show without the pandemic and people needing work. And we've managed to raise $400,000 and distribute $400,000 to our, our local community. We need more people to do the kind of thing you're doing and more people to be willing to be open and honest and share their experiences with prostate cancer. I really want to thank you as a fellow prostate cancer thriver. I think it's it's great what you're doing and, and I appreciate it and keep up the good work. And I am going to check out some of those live shows as I'm sure other people will also do. Yeah, wondering if there's anything else that you want to share that I just didn't get to? I wanted, uh, I guess, uh, I didn't really think about it, Joel, but beforehand, but uh, I would think when you go to your doctor and discuss this with him, go with information. 
go with a little bit of uh, having looked it up. So you so you have knowledge, so you know the questions that you need to ask. And also be aware that they're not going to tell you everything, I guess, maybe because of time or what have you, but they're not going to tell you everything that's go- that could happen. So you need to really educate yourself on this. And that would be through some of the sites that, that we just discussed. And there's a lot of resources out there. For instance, there's an organization that gets together corporate jets. And if they have a seat on that jet and their jet's flying somewhere, they'll give you a free ride if it's a medical, if it's a medical thing. It's all arranged for you. You just show up at the airport and, uh, and they fly you to wherever you need to go. And then there's one waiting for you when you go home. There's a, hundreds and hundreds of resources out there. So make yourself aware of this. Do the background work that you need to do. And go armed with education and talk to your doctor. And don't miss your physical. I think that that's probably the most important thing you said. Don't miss your physical. Get your PSA test. Yes. And if you're not getting a regular DRE you know, through your regular normal physical, you should ask about that. Absolutely. So I really want to thank you so much. This has been most informative. And I am sure that we will be hearing with some questions. And I will forward them on. I want to thank you again. I want to thank you for being honest and open and sharing, you know, what could be for many people, very personal information and also for what you're doing for musicians. Your musicians are are so vital to our very existence. We don't appreciate that until we don't have music. Thank you again. It was a pleasure meeting you. I just want to close by saying that this has been Joel Nowak along with Mr. Shane Norris, a fantastic musical producer and cancer thriver we're looking forward to another podcast in the future and shane if you want to get back to us and perhaps give us an update in a period of time and let us know how it's going i would appreciate that you can always have that high food process or procedure again and uh, if you don't mind if you would share with us on a regular or somewhat regular basis your progress i would appreciate it thank you I would be happy to do it, Joel. I will, I will make that a point to, to pay attention to and do that. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. I appreciate meeting you. I enjoy meeting you too, sir. And, and congratulations on being a cancer thriver. I am thrilled to have my fingers and toes wiggle. So thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. <laughs>